Letter twenty five of Clarissa, volume one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Clarissa Harlow, or the History of a Young Lady, volume one, by Samuel Richardson. Letter twenty five. Miss Clarissa Harlow to Miss Howe, Tuesday, March the 7th. By my last deposit, you will see how I am driven, and what a poor prisoner I am. No regard had to my reputation. The whole matter is now before you. Can such measures be supposed to soften? But surely they can only mean to try and frighten me into my brother's views. All my hope is, to be able to weather this point till my cousin Morden comes from Florence, and he is soon expected. Yet, if they are determined upon a short day, I doubt he will not be here in time enough to save me. It is plain by my brother's letter that my mother has not spared me, in the report she was pleased to make of the conference between herself and me. Yet she was pleased to hint to me that my brother had views which she would have had me try to disappoint. But indeed she had engaged to give such a faithful account of what was to pass between herself and me, and it was, doubtless, much more eligible to give up a daughter than to disoblige a husband and every other person of the family. They think they have done everything by turning away my poor Hannah, but as long as the liberty of the garden and my poultry visits were allowed me, they will be mistaken. I asked Miss Betty if she had any orders to watch or attend me, or whether I was to ask her leave whenever I should be disposed to walk in the garden, or to go feed my bantams. Lord bless her! What could I mean by such a question? Yet she owned that she had heard that I was not to go into the garden when my father, mother, or uncles were there. However, as it behoved me to be assured on this head, I went down directly and stayed an hour without question or impediment, and yet a good part of the time I walked under and in sight, as I may say, of my brother's study window, where both he and my sister happened to be. And I am sure they saw me, by the loud mirth they affected, by way of insult, as I suppose— so this part of my restraint was doubtless a stretch of the authority given him. The enforcing of that may perhaps come next, but I hope not. Tuesday night Since I wrote the above, I ventured to send a letter by Shorey to my mother. I desired her to give it into her own hand, when nobody was by. I shall enclose a copy of it. You will see that I would have had thought that now Hannah is gone, I have no way to correspond out of the house. I am far from thinking all I do is right. I am afraid this is a little piece of art that is not so. But this is an afterthought. The letter went first. Honoured Madame, Having acknowledged to you that I had received letters from Mr. Lovelace full of resentment, and that I answered them purely to prevent further mischief, and having shown you copies of my answers, which you did not disapprove of, 
although you thought fit, after you had read them, to forbid me any further correspondence with him, I think it my duty to acquaint you that another letter from him has since come to my hand, in which he is very earnest with me to permit him to wait on my papa, or you, or my two uncles, in a pacific way, accompanied by Lord M., on which I beg your commands. I own to you, madame, that had not the prohibition been renewed, and had not Hannah been so suddenly dismissed from my service, I should have made the less scruple to have written an answer, and to have commanded her to convey it to him, with all speed, in order to dissuade him from these visits, lest anything should happen on the occasion that my heart aches but to think of. And here I cannot but express my grief, that I should have all the punishment and all the blame, who, as I have reason to think, have prevented great mischief, and have not been the occasion of any. For, madame, could I be supposed to govern the passions of either of the gentlemen? Over the one, indeed, I have had some little influence, without giving him hitherto any reason to think he has fastened an obligation upon me for it. Over the other, who, madame, has any? I am grieved at heart to be obliged to lay so great a blame at my brother's door, although my reputation and my liberty are both to be sacrificed to his resentment and ambition. May not, however, so deep a sufferer be permitted to speak out. This communication, being as voluntarily made as dutifully intended, I humbly presume to hope that I shall not be required to produce the letter itself. I cannot either in honour or prudence do that because of the vehemence of his style, for having heard, not, I assure you, by my means, or through Hannah's, of some part of the harsh treatment I have met with, he thinks himself entitled to place it to his own account by reason of speeches thrown out by some of my relations equally vehement. If I do not answer him, he will be made desperate and think himself justified, thought I shall not think of him so, in resenting the treatment he complains of, if I do, and if, in compliment to me, he forbears to resent what he thinks himself entitled to resent, be pleased, madame, to consider the obligation he will suppose he lays me under. If I were as strongly prepossessed in his favour as is supposed, I should not have wished this to be considered by you. And permit me, as a still further proof that I am not prepossessed, to beg of you to consider whether, upon the whole, the proposal I made of declaring for the single life, which I will religiously adhere to, is not the best way to get rid of the pretensions with honour. To renounce him, and not be allowed to aver that I will never be the other man's, will make him conclude, driven as I am driven, that I am determined in that other man's favour. If this has not its due weight, my brother's strange schemes must be tried, and I will resign myself to my destiny with all the acquiescence that shall be granted to my prayers. And so leaving the whole to your own wisdom, and whether you choose to consult my papa and uncles under this humble application or not, or whether I shall be allowed to write an answer to Mr. Lovelace or not, and if allowed to do so, I beg your direction by whom to send it, I remain, your honoured madame, 
your unhappy but ever-dutiful daughter, Clarissa Harlowe. Wednesday morning. I have just received an answer to the endorsed letter. My mother, you will observe, has ordered me to burn it, but as you will have it in your safe-keeping, and nobody else will see it, her end will be equally answered, as if it were burnt. It has neither date nor superscription. Clarissa, say not all the blame and all the punishment is yours. I am as much blamed and as much punished as you are, yet am more innocent. When your obstinacy is equal to any other person's passion, blame not your brother. We judged right that Hannah carried on your correspondencies. Now she is gone, and you cannot write. We think you cannot, to Miss Howe, nor she to you, without our knowledge, one cause of uneasiness and jealousy is over. I had no dislike of Hannah. I did not tell her so, because somebody was within hearing when she desired to pay her duty to me at going. I gave her a caution, in a raised voice, to take care, wherever she went to live next, if there were any young ladies, how she made parties and assisted in clandestine correspondencies. But I slid two guineas into her hand. Nor was I angry to hear that she was still more bountiful to her. So much for Hannah. I don't know what to write about your answering that man of violence. What can you think of it, that such a family as ours should have such a rod held over it? For my part, I have not owned that I know you have corresponded. By your last boldness to me, an astonishing one it was, to pursue before Mr. Soames the subject I was forced to break from above stairs. You may, as far as I know, plead, that you had my countenance for your correspondence with him, and so add to the uneasiness between your father and me. You were once my comfort, Clarissa. You made all my hardships tolerable, but now, however nothing, it is plain, can move you, and I will say no more on that head, for you are under your father's discipline now, and he will neither be prescribed to nor entreated. I should have been glad to see the letter you tell me of, as I saw the rest. You say both honour and prudence forbid you to show it to me. Oh, Clarissa, what think you of receiving letters that honour and prudence forbid you to show to a mother? But it is not for me to see it, if you would choose to show it to me. I will not be in your secret. I will not know that you did correspond, and, as to an answer, take your own methods, but let him know it will be the last you will write, and if you do write, I won't see it, so seal it up, if you do, and give it to Shorey, and she, yet do not think I give you license to write. We will be upon no conditions with him, nor will you be allowed to upon any. Your father and uncles would have no patience were he to come. What have you to do to oblige him with your refusal of Mr. Soames? Will not that refusal be to him to give hope? And while he has any, can we be easy or free from his insults? Were even your brother in fault, as that fault cannot be conquered, is a sister to carry on a correspondence that shall endanger her brother? 
but your father has given his sanction to your brother's dislikes, your uncle's, and everybody's, no matter to whom owing. As to the rest, you have by your obstinacy put it out of my power to do anything for you. Your father takes it upon himself to be answerable for all consequences. You must not, therefore, apply to me for any favour. I shall endeavour to be only an observer. Happy, if I could be an unconcerned one. While I had the power, you would not let me use it as I would have used it. Your aunt has been forced to engage not to interfere, but by your father's direction. You'll have severe trials. If you have any favour to hope for, it must be from the meditation of your uncles. And yet I believe they are equally determined, for they make it a principle. Alas, they never had children, for that child, who in marriage is not governed by her parents, is to be given up as a lost creature. I charge you, let not this letter be found. Burn it. There is too much of the mother in it to a daughter so unaccountably obstinate. Write not another letter to me. I can do nothing for you, but you can do everything for yourself. Now, my dear, to proceed with my melancholy narrative. After this letter, you will believe that I could have very little hopes that an application directly to my father would stand me in any stead, but I thought it became me to write, were it but to acquit myself to myself, that I have left nothing unattempted that he has the least likelihood to restore me to his favour. Accordingly, I wrote to the following effect. I presume not, I say, to argue with my papa. I only beg his mercy and indulgence in this one point, on which depends my present and perhaps my future happiness, and beseech him not to reprobate his child for any aversion which it is not in her power to conquer. I beg that I may not be sacrificed to projects and remote contingencies. I complain of the disgraces I suffer in this banishment from his presence, and in being confined to my chamber. In everything but this one point, I promise implicit duty and resignation to his will. I repeat my offers of a single life, and appeal to him whether I have ever given him cause to doubt my word. I beg to be admitted to his and to my mamma's presence, and that my conduct may be under their own eye, and this with the more earnestness as I have too much reason to believe that snares are laid for me and tauntings and revilings used on purpose to make a handle of my words against me, when I am not permitted to speak in my own defence. I conclude with hoping that my brother's instigations may not rob an unhappy child of her father. This is the answer sent without superscription, and unsealed, although by Betty Barnes, who delivered it with an air as if she knew the contents. Wednesday I write, perverse girl, but with all the indignation that your disobedience deserves. To desire to be forgiven a fault you own, and yet resolve to persevere in, is a boldness no more to be equalled than passed over. It is my authority you defy. Your reflections upon a brother, that is an honour to us all, 
deserve my utmost resentment. I see how light all relationship sits upon you. The cause I guess at, too. I cannot bear the reflections that naturally arise from this consideration. Your behaviour to your too indulgent and too fond mother. But I have no patience. Continue banished from my presence, undutiful as you are, till you know how to conform to my will. Ingrateful creature, your letter but upbraid me for my past indulgence. Write no more to me, till you can distinguish better, and till you are convinced of your duty to a justly incensed father. This angry letter was accompanied by one from my mother, unsealed and unsuperscribed also. Those who take so much pains to confederate every one against me, I make no doubt, obliged her to bear her testimony against the poor girl. My mother's letter being a repetition of some of the severe things that passed between herself and me, of which I have already informed you, I shall not need to give you the contents, only thus far, that she also praises my brother, and blames me for my freedoms with him. End of letter 25 Recording by Ben Dutton, Lampeter, Wales